be seated. If you would please open in your Bibles to Psalm 1. Uh, today's sermon text in the few Bibles, I believe, is from page 448. pray for our time. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are our Lord and our God, that we can hear from your word. Would you instruct us and teach us from it this morning? May the meditations of my heart and mind be pleasing to you, first and foremost, my rock and my my redeemer, and be pleasing in your sight and yours alone. Encourage and equip and edify your people. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish concludes our reading the word of the God, the word of the Lord. So this morning, our task in front of us is to consider what does a growing life toward God look like? I believe the Lord in His kindness helps us from Psalm 1 in a very clear and particular way. Many of us in this place are going to find ourselves sitting having known the Lord for decades. Or you may be younger and you may be born into a covenant family that you're, you're young in the faith, you're new in the faith, or the Lord in His kindness drew you to Himself at a later age. Wherever you are at, though, our passage today gives us a very clear example of what a person looks like who lives a life oriented towards God. Now, for a bit of background, before I get further into the text, that as was said by Ryan, my name is Billy. I am licensed by our presbytery to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I work at, a, at City Union Mission, which is a rescue mission. I'm married to Beth Ann and, and her family. There's a few people who live close by here, live up in the Newton area, so a little ways from you all, uh, but are here this morning worshiping with you. Um, it's a little different for me to preach. I preach very regularly uh, at the mission, but it's usually to a room of people who are half asleep, so I'm not going to be offended if you fall asleep or head to the door. <laughs> It happens frequently, often a little more smelly than it is in here, too. With that being said, though, I, I, I've served in, in ministry now for a little over five years. I, I, in my late 20s, experienced a call to ministry from the Lord that He drew me to Himself in such a way that I was compelled to, to change career paths and, and, and move in a different direction, and have uh, since then served faithfully in uh, Labrie Fellowship Ministry of Dr. Francis Schaefer, as well as now in Rescue Ministry in Kansas City, uh, where I'm from. Anyways, enough about me. You want to hear about the Psalms. 
and what your Lord has for you. It's his prayer book that we use throughout our worship service as Presbyterians. It's, it's what is one of the things that he, he asks us to approach him with, to use in our worship hours. And it's an incredible picture that I believe of, of God really inviting us to have a conversation with him. And we see throughout the Psalms this picture, as Ed Welch likes to say, I heard Ed Welch speak recently, and I love Ed Welch, that really the Psalms give us a picture of a chatty God and allowing permission for his children to be chatty with their God. However, he sets the parameters for what is appropriate and permissive for our conversation topics. What it is that we see from the Psalms is a regulated approach for our worship of God and to be done according to His holy terms rather than the terms of our hearts and our minds. Now this is what we're seeing here today as well. Our passage really looks beyond what human culture and human experience tells us is worthwhile and good and fruitful and right. And it says, no, 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 I want to be rooted in such a way that I'm rooted according to the God of this universe, what His standards are. Now, if we were to root ourselves any other place, we would find ourselves mixing, mixing in fallacy and error. We don't want to do that, for then we would be mixing errors into the written word of God. Now we must find ourselves and say, how and where should we root ourselves? Close to God or what it is that society says? And where is it that I have capitulated, maybe willingly or unwillingly, to places that society is saying, rather than God is saying, I should be rooted? So we must fix ourselves in His timeless Word. We must find ourselves living there. And that brings me to my hope and purpose for preaching to you today. That ultimately you would find yourself delighting and sure of the laws of God and growing in your journey with, with your Lord. Again, my purpose today is that you would delight in the laws of God and find yourself on a growing journey with the Lord. That's it. However, this is not an easy task. And without His strength, without His guidance, we'll be lost and hopeless. We're going to find ourselves looking again and again to the immediate things and to the idols of our hearts and the things that are in front of us. However, by God's mercy and grace, He leads us to deeper wells from the Scripture today. And we have two examples for which to live by from His Word. Now these two examples will help us, I believe, in a growing journey with our Lord. Now without further attention, I want you to look to His holy, infallible, and inerrant Word and see this from verse 1. You will see our first example, which is the example of a righteous man. Right away in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now here, once again, the first of our two examples, however, the bulk of our passage will be dedicated to our first example. The bulk of our time will be dedicated to our first example as members who are, are a part of God's covenant family. I believe this is helpful for us in this way to understand and see ourselves against this backdrop. Now, I think it could be stated quite clearly that a, a righteous man is the opposite of a wicked man. As it says here. And I want you to see three phrases, though, however, that are, that are pictures of the posture of a righteous man. Look, look, look with it here. Verse 1. He walks. He stands. And he sits. 
not in these ways. Now we're seeing a negative phrasing, a negative phrase here in this passage that basically says a blessed man would not walk in the way of scoffers, nor stand in the way of sinners. But there's this posture that I think we see here in this, this passage that basically says our disposition, the way that we carry about our daily lives and our walk in front of Him matters. Greatly matters. That we would reject the things of this world. That we would turn away from these things. Now all three are stated in such a negative way, but I believe right there inferred in it is a positive. For blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who would enjoy and partake in these things, who would not partake in these things. Now it's this first love that he would return to, his first love of his Messiah, who has taken away the sins of the world. And where we see this most clearly, now I believe we're going to see several things related to this righteous man, three specifically. First though, he delights himself in the law of the Lord. See that in verse 2. You can see that directly and plainly from the text. He delights himself in, in the law of the Lord. Now to delight in the law of the Lord implies a certain degree of joy, happiness, security. And this can only be found in a couple of very clear truths. That he ultimately loves the Word because he loves his Lord. Now a second delight that we see is that a person who is blessed and does not and does these things truly will be sturdy. They'll be firm. They'll be resolute. Now look at these things where righteous man delights. And you see this here. The psalmist will be talking ultimately, I believe, and, and pretty clearly talking about the Torah. He's talking about the Old Testament law. And the 613 or so laws found up in them. However, it extends beyond that. It extends to the laws of Christ and what it is that He has perfectly completed. But in and with that, looking beyond the ceremonial, civic, and moral laws for the Israelites, we would see that this is truly for us to be people who are close to God, who know His law or His Word, to study the Word, to keep His commandments. Now, it forces you to pause, I believe, and consider what comes next. Because we also see here that on His law, He meditates day and night. With this, we see that command there. A, a, a command for us as the people of God to feast, to meditate on the law of God. Now meditation, there's confusion on what we mean when we say meditation today. And it's not lost on I me. Mean, even in a conservative denomination and church such as ours and this, one, and this one as well, meditation has been twisted by the world. And we have not taken meditation according to the, the, the law of of our good and holy and just God. Now when I say this, we're adopting a view that is ultimately void of scriptures in meditation today. I mean, you hear terms that people say things such as empty yourself to make yourself a blank slate. Well, that's not ultimately actually what the word the word means in the Hebrew. And we, we, we look at this as well. We look at the, the idea of meditation and what we see here of, and on his law, he meditates day and night. We would be seeing a man who is actually doing the exact opposite. This is not contemplative meditation or even some religious forms of meditation that have crept into uh, the liberal or even evangelical branches of our church. 
But this is somebody who ultimately is abiding, resting. To, 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 to see meditation as, as somebody who ultimately is sitting and, and uttering and basically proclaiming repetitively these truths, these things. So you have to see that truth. You have to read that truth to be able to utter those things, to be influenced by those things. As Dr. Schaefer would say, is to be somebody who is not rooted in the personal peace and affluence of this world. For that is what our world is saying that we need to run after. These are the things that it's saying we need to meditate on. The things that you desire in your heart. The things that are, are, are closest to you at hand. That this personal peace and affluence that culture is saying that we should ultimately pursue. However, that's not what God says. That we should be people who are rooted in the living Word of God. Now I love this. In Thomas Manton, the, the Puritans stated this more clearly on what meditation looked like. Thomas Manton said this on what meditation looks like. Do not try to pry further than what God hath revealed. Your thoughts must be bounded by the Word. There is no duty that a brain is more apt to abuse than meditation. Do not leave bread and wine and gnaw upon a stone. To gnaw upon a stone rather than bread and wine, we see and know and taste that the Lord is good, that He is faithful, that His Scriptures are living water, the psalmist tells us right here. That if we are feasting ourselves anyplace else, we're gnawing upon a stone, is what Manson would say. And I believe that that is exactly what it is. That there is no life in it. That there is no actual rest that comes from rooting ourselves any other place. It doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to blessing and delight with our God. But I think that there's a third example that we see of a blessed or righteous man. And this is actually stated in verse 3. Our third example that we see is this. That he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now hear this, related to that, I think there are two benefits wrapped up very tightly in verse 3. We're seeing this. That first, that there is an abundance of harvest. That there is good fruit. That we see kingdom fruit. A man who is rooted and meditated on the Bible, on the living word of God, on his truth, on his law, will produce fruit. That is healthy. That is in season. It produces fruit all along. They're going to see feasting really implied, I think, within this as well. But the second thing I think that we'll also see is that there's a second benefit, which is that they will prosper. A man who meditates on his word will prosper. Now, I am not saying like a prosperity gospel prosper, I am not saying like a material prosperity. But some might ask, well, well, isn't that wrapped up in there? Isn't there some degree of material prospering? To which we could say yes and no. As my pastor Aaron Suber back in, in, in Kansas City would say, he often gets into a sermon and goes, well, yes and no. And he would say yes, that there is prospering that we see for somebody who roots themselves and sits deeply close to God. Because they're going to have healthy rhythms. They're going to have good habits, good disciplines 
that really the world would confirm and say those are good and healthy. And there might be prospering that comes materially or physically. But it is not a guarantee. But the prosperity that is talked about here and, and is confirmed and reflected throughout the Old Testament scriptures is that of eternal prosperity. It is not prosperity by the world's standards, but it is looking beyond what is immediate, to the things unseen, to the supernatural world that is both here as well as for eternity, that He has forever secured. That our, It's not that there is a, a separation of these two things, although there is that benefit, as I said, that comes. This is truly talking about a prosperity of the eternal things of God, that we are certain of the things that are coming. And with that, there will be peace. For the world cannot take our joy. God has secured that in Christ forever. That cannot be taken. So if you find yourself anxious and sitting in places where you're doubting that, and doubting that security, remember your Savior and what He has done. Remember His finished work on the cross that cannot be taken, that God has accomplished once for all, for all who believe in Him by faith, that He has drawn to Himself, for His elect. Now, we do see flourishing. I think we see knowledge and joy and happiness that comes in knowing the living God and doing those things that God loves as defined by His law. We become intimate and rooted closely to Him. We find ourselves living like a healthy tree by streams of living water. Streams of living water that is Christ Jesus alone. Now He can and does provide this eternal flourishing. He has done it. He has done it by imputing to us His righteousness. And we've given to Him our filthy sins. Now that is prospering. That is certain. It's living and trusting in that security that leads to prospering. Both with some good here, the yes and no, but certainly for eternity. Certainly for the things that are to be. Now this whole idea of meditation, uh, of that, of us being rooted firmly on the Word of God was something that that today, as I said, is less than common. But all of our forefathers before us, really, this would have been a common occurrence. This is exactly what they would have thought of when they saw meditation. They would have seen that we are to be people who feast and delight and mutter and understand and know the things of God. To speak them to ourselves. To speak them to our children. To speak them to the generations to come. And they probably wouldn't have looked at this culture and thought, oh, they would be stunned, I would think, at the amount of distractions and things that are available to us here in 21st century America. Now, God in His kindness decided to put us here in this time and didn't put us in a different era. But I, I know that some of the Puritans, as well as the fathers who have gone before us, would say even 50 years ago, wow, yeah, I never would have dreamed that I could pick up a phone and you know, see my brother from halfway around the world. Or to be able to communicate with people in different places and motifs. That, that that, in many ways, are wonderful things. Are wonderful benefits of being in 2021. But those are distractions in some ways. When those become primary, those become a distraction from meditating on the things of God. From meditating on His Word. 
that I think of some of those of, of, of say, my forefathers or, or those who have come from Scotland before me. I, I'm a, a many-generation Presbyterian minister. Uh, our family immigrated from Scotland uh, on my father's side. And, and when I consider and think about you know, people who came from the land of the book, they would be people who in the evenings would have their meal and they might read their Bible and, and, and basically what we would think of as family devotions, that there wasn't a lot that they had to distract them, that they would finish their day and it'd be more of an agrarian society. And in the evening until bed, there wasn't Facebook or television or the, the distractions that we have. And so, not saying that they meditated, not saying that they did this perfectly, but in some ways there were just different distractions that they saw. That there were things that were there. However, we need to find ourselves fighting for the things of God. Find ourselves as people who are rooted like a tree close to streams of living water. For we will delight in the things of God. We're not going to be people who sit or stand or walk in the ways of the wicked. For the ways of the wicked, I think, really, we, we actually see some about them as well. And we see from our passage here, truly sweet joys for a righteous person. That there is great benefit for us as we enjoy this and rest in this, as people who, who love the Lord their God and say, yes, I see this, I know this, I know that my eternity is secure through Christ Jesus. But consider a second example. We see a second example. We've our first, seen our first example of that of a righteous man. But now I want to look at the big picture of that which is a wicked man, as our passage says. This is a sobering example, especially when compared with that of a righteous man. But they present themselves as one who is well, the Lord presents them as one who is wicked. They do not necessarily present themselves as one, but the Lord presents them as wicked. But we see several things about them. We see first that they will not be able to stand when the Lord judges them. You see that from your text right in front of you. Second, they are not invited to be a part of the congregation of the righteous. And third, that they will blow away like chaff on the wind. Now I'm going to dwell on that first one for a second because chaff, I grew up in Kansas City. I, I'm a city boy. I, I work in the city. I honestly didn't know what chaff was at one point in my life. Actually, probably quite recently. And people probably laugh and think, that's crazy to not know what chaff is. But chaff, from my research and understanding, is simply the husk or the outer coverings of a corn or, or something of that nature. That was that on a farm that has no nutritional value, that doesn't really have benefit, that it might be attractive and filtering and floating on the wind for a minute, but it doesn't have long-term value. It doesn't have value for the farmer and his family to feed them, and it doesn't have value for future generations. And so we see this, and we see that a wicked person might be attractive in a way, that it might be filtering and floating on the wind. It might be an exhilarating ride for a moment, but there is no nutrition it is short-lived. They're not like a tree planted by streams of living water. As the psalmist was likely sitting by a stream himself and seeing and thinking of this analogy. But there's somebody that is very short-lived. They're not focused on a long, faithful obedience and a fastidious life. 
Now, I do think that there is a certain degree of, of, of a little bit of flourishing and that, that the chaff came from somewhere, that there was something that the chaff was attached to originally, but it was attached to something that perhaps has life in itself, but the chaff does not. And the psalmist, I believe, pronounces them be people who are pitied and will not receive true life in that which is to come. Now, Calvin says this here about this verse and about the world. Now, the wicked, they are miserable, but it's because their happiness, but it's because happiness is the inward blessing of a good conscience. And they see not the Lord daily executes judgment. They're looking at that which is done only partially in this life. Yet, we look higher, for we desire to behold the assembly of the righteous and see God's final judgment. The prosperity of the ungodly will pass away as often as God manifests the tokens of His judgment, both daily as well as in His final judgment. Now the wicked and the world and the things which appear important will truly pass away. And they're not going to have eternal value. We see this. We know this. Scripture confirms this right here as well as all throughout it. It's cohesive. It's not saying one thing and then something else. It, it is all about Christ and the Redeemer and the second Adam that has come in Christ Jesus. From the sin of the first Adam, we see that he saw his nakedness, that he was in need of covering from his God, and that God has provided that covering in and through Christ Jesus, who paid for the sins of his bride once for all. And the wicked cannot and will not recognize their need. They will look to the things that appear attractive in front of them. Now again, the Lord in His kindness through the pen of the psalmist gives us two examples regarding how we can live and how we can be people who are righteous and truly are people who are blessed by our Lord. Yet alternatively, we can find ourselves being people we're like the wicked. Find ourselves deceived by false promises, by empty hopes, by, by temporary and temporal joys. But I hope that you are encouraged and that you start and hope and pray that you will be people who look to this book, that meditate on this book, His Word for this very short life that we have here. When you compare eternity with 100 years, 30-something years that I've lived on this earth, whether I have 75 years or whether I have one day, both are quite quick in the scope and scheme of eternity and what it is that has been laid out and promised for the righteous as well as the promise for the wicked that there is a promise there as well. In and with this, I want you to, as I, as I move forward, I want you to see that there are a few points of application. First, I want you to be people who meditate on the Word. And when I say meditate on the Word, take the time to read it, mutter it, repeat it, understand it, know it, apply it, Listen to them as you drive in your car. Or sing or hum the psalms. Get a psalter. Sing the psalms. What better way 
sing the praises of our God than to use His hymn book, our chatty God's hymn book and what He has given for us. Understand Him. Know His heart more. Listen to what He has done. And that requires something though. Second, this is the second point of application. This requires discipline. Spiritual discipline. And it requires you to be rich in your prayer life as well as in the Word. For we can be people who are richly rooted in the Word, but if we are not richly rooted in our communion and prayer life with Him, we will miss it. That there's this dual component that we need to be rooted in prayer as well as the Word. He wants us to worship Him on His terms. He wants us to worship Him, to meditate on His book, to come before Him. Now third, and I think this is a point that our passage does not explicitly state, but this is a really important for, thing for us today. And it's truthfully humbling for me as your preacher this morning. But hopefully it's an encouragement as well. Memorize the Scriptures and the truths of God found in our catechisms, in places that we know have been confirmed through those who have gone before us, as well as His holy and errant inspired Word, find ourselves rooted here. Now sometimes I, I know, personally, I've found that I think that the wider church has found as well that this is something that we, we, we do. That we say, oh, the catechisms were written for our children and the catechize our children. And, and in some ways I was catechized as a young man, but I don't remember a lot of my catechism that was taught to me as a man who is five or six years old. To the depth and the, the way that I, I once could have when I was a younger man. I didn't meditate and feast on them the last 30 years. Whether it be busyness or just a total neglection of, of this task that He has given to us, that I think in this evangelical Christian world as well as the, the Reformed world as well, that this is a, something that I, I, I know that we desire to do, that we desire to feast and to know the things of God more intimately and deeply. But it's something that is often difficult and challenging. It takes time because it takes work. Now, now, the ministry I work for it is an evangelical Christian ministry that does believe in the authority of scriptures. and So we're all people who feel called to ministry. Most of us have gone to seminary. And our workplace incentivizes us each year to memorize a book of the Bible. And each year, over 95% of our workforce does not memorize an entire book of the Bible. And there's really nice physical incentives. Days off work, things of that nature, gift cards that are physical incentives, but comes with great spiritual benefit. When we understand and know the things of God, when we understand and look to and can remember what God has said, say in the Sermon on the Mount, or remember what He has done in places like James, or what He has said to the, to the church at Philippians and how that is a great encouragement and joy for us. So find yourself. Be people who ultimately grow and feast and meditate on His Word. And if you are not somebody who does this now, be encouraged for how well you memorize Scriptures, or for how well you meditate on Scriptures, does not determine the security of eternity. Not by a long shot. It is God who has done that. It is He who has secured it. As we consider these three points of application, and we, we apply them to our lives, we remember that if we are not doing these things, he is still our master. He is still 
our God. He is the better prophet, priest, and king. He is that which the Old Testament prophesied about, now fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our Redeemer. The certainty of our salvation has truly nothing to do with meditation. However, there will be blessing and richness and prosperity that does come now and into eternity when we feast on Him. When we trust in Him. But root that and take that from a place of trusting. Trusting in your Savior more deeply today. Knowing that His finished work on the cross is where it begins and where it is finished. Root yourself in His Word. Delight in His Word. Find yourself growing as a righteous person. Find yourself growing with a life towards your God. Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, we thank You that You have given us Your Word. That it is not a word to be taken lightly. That You have given examples of who and what a godly man looks like. What a godly woman looks like. Let us be those who are rooted by the streams of living waters. Let us not stand, sit, or rest in the, the way of the wicked. We can only do this in and through the power of Christ Jesus, our Redeemer. Let us remember that this day, His power. Amen. Please take a moment for meditation. Our Lord, we thank you for hearing us. Let us feast on your word more deeply.